This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Uh, It's great to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll get there in one second. Um, Well, we are going to, at the end of the message today, we are going to celebrate communion as a church family. If you are uh, new to the City Church, you don't have to feel forced to receive communion with us. Uh, But we invite everybody who is a follower of Jesus um, to celebrate in communion with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, um, as we sang about the resurrection, every Sunday, in one sense, we are celebrating the resurrection. That is why... The church, the New Testament church, uh, decided to meet on Sunday. It was in celebration of the resurrection. And when we celebrate the resurrection, uh, not only are we celebrating a historical fact, but we're supposed to be reminding ourselves um, about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And this is where our relationship with God actually has some vitality. Um, communion, um, I grown up in church, as I'm sure many of you have as well, and communion is one of those things that can just become religious. It can just become something we just do, and it can um, maybe lose meaning for us. Um, But when we slow down and we remind ourselves of some things that we already know, um, this is where the vitality of our relationship with God shows up. And communion is supposed to be one of those things where we just kind of slow down and we remind ourselves of some truth maybe that we've heard Uh, five times or ten times or maybe a hundred times so that we can have that vitality of our relationship with God. And we're going to focus just a little bit today on this idea uh, that God calls us his own, that we are his children. And this was new when Jesus came up. This is one of the things that he emphasized in his ministry. Uh, One of the things that he was criticized for um, was for calling God Father. Such a tremendous revelation for us to understand that God is not just distant, God is not far away, God is not disinterested. That Jesus calling God Father is is supposed to give us a revelation of who God is. Not just God who has power somewhere else, but God who, who knows me and is interested in me and provides for me and wants to give me instructions and wants to help me in each aspect of my life. And as we slow down today and as we remind ourselves of this, this can be truly important for us as we talk about this today. You know, when we think about the idea of Father or our fathers on the heels of Father's Day uh, last week, we know this about good fathers, that your father wants the best for you, wants to provide the best for you. And then also your father wants you to be the best version of yourself. So these two aspects that we would see with good fathers, that good fathers are providing something for their children, but then they're also with that provision. There's a lot of instruction that goes on. There's a lot of um, teaching that goes on. And the same would be true of God, understanding God as a father, that God provides for us. God provides for his children. And then he's also giving us help with wisdom and instruction. And we see these two aspects in our revelation of God through Jesus. Let's read here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So we see these two descriptors 
for Jesus. And once again, they, we say them a lot. And once again, we say something a lot or do something a lot. It, it can lose its meaning for us. But these two phrases or these two titles for Jesus, Lord and Savior. Now, when we think about Lord, we would, it's not a, a term that we use um, today. But I mean, just really means someone who's in charge of you, someone who's over you, someone like a king or something like that. Uh, the Lord or Jesus as our Lord would want to give us direction that he would want to give us wisdom, that he would want to help us with our decision-making because he is our father and we are his own. And then we also see this, uh, this Lord and Savior. Savior means he saves me from something, but he's also saving me to something else. This physical picture that we have in the Old Testament about the children of Israel, that they were saved out of Egyptian bondage. So they were um, in a certain condition, they were slaves living in Egypt, and God removed them from that situation, but he didn't just take them out of that negative situation, he actually took them into another situation called the promised land. So he just didn't save them from something negative, he actually provided something for them. And we are God's own children. And this is the way we need to understand our relationship with God on a daily basis. That God is doing these things and providing these things for us. He's providing us his wisdom. He's providing us his instruction. And then he wants to provide for us in physical ways. He wants us to be removed from these negative situations. Egypt, the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And then bringing them into the promised land. God wants these things for us. And he's wanting us to be aware of these things. He's wanting us to remind ourselves that Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior. And it's not something that God gives up on as it relates to us. It's, it's something that goes on on a constant basis. This, you know, as I mentioned, Father's Day was last week. And then when I think about my children, I want to be able to provide for my children. And this is a constant thing. And, they, and since they are in the habit of seeing me provide for them, imperceptibly, it was something when they grew up, they just, you know, dad is going to feed us something. And dad will go to the grocery store. But now that they're of age and they've got this thing figured out, they want to schedule shopping times. And especially as it relates to clothes, because they're both girls. And then, you know, if they go, if they go too long without shopping, you know, my other... One of my youngest said to me a couple weeks ago, Dad, we haven't been shopping in two weeks. And I'm saying, that's fine. That's okay. We don't need to go shopping again. You have too many clothes as it is already. But this becomes the expectation for my children that I have provided for them. And then the other part is this instruction part, is this life coaching part, is this thing that God as our Lord, Jesus as our Lord... Uh, we get the wonderful benefit of him directing us, helping us with our decisions. And you would know this true of your children as well. Um, at, you know, they're, they're okay with your instructions for a while. And then, then when, they, when they get to be a certain age, when, you know, maybe around 16 or so, they've got everything figured out. They no longer need your instructions. They know all of life's, uh, they know how to answer all of life's questions and things like that. And then you know, when you get a little bit past 16 and you get, you know, somewhere in your 20s, maybe you realize, oh, I actually do need my parents' help. My parents did actually know a lot more than me. And then when you have children, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, my parents did know way more than me. I didn't understand it at the time. But we have these two wonderful things that we have from the Father God who calls us his own. He is 
through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He gives us these two necessities of life. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. This is what God says about you, that you are his. It's not just God and you're just my creation, even though we see that in these verses. He created you and he's redeemed you, he's bought you back, but then he calls you. It's personal. Listen, it's personal with God as it relates to you. It's personal for him. You are his. He doesn't want to leave you alone to make decisions on your own. He doesn't want you to have to fend for yourself. He actually wants to give you provision in your life. He wants to call you out of negative situations. He wants to call you out of bondage, out of Egypt. And he wants to move you into the promised land. Why? Because you're his. you're, You're his. That should excite us. That should put a smile on our face. That as it relates to us and God, for God, it's personal as it relates to you. He's not going to forget your name. He doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't forget what you're going through. That he says that you are his. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And we can see this theme continued. John 17 verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, for those whom you have given me. I'm for, the, for they are yours. Jesus says in verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. If we go back to verse 8, it says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. So what does God give us? What does he do? One of the things that he gives us as it relates to being our Lord, he gives us words. Do you, have your, give, do you ever give your children words? You do. You say things to them. Why? Because you want them to know certain things. You want them to make decisions in a certain way. So you give them words in the same way with God. Since we are his, he wants to give us words. So he doesn't, God doesn't put evil in our way. God doesn't have any evil to give us. The scripture says that God is good. There is no shadow of turning in him. James chapter 1. So what does God give us? How does God want us to learn? How does he want us to be instructed? He wants us to be instructed with his words. And just as a reminder, a six-month reminder, uh, back in January, do you remember what I talked to you about in January? I talked to you about Bible reading, spending time in the Word of God. And so here's my six-month reminder. (laughs) It's good for you to sit down with your Bible, a paper Bible, and sit down and ask God, God, speak to me through your Word. Why? Because He is our Lord. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about his disciples? I gave them words. 
God has given us his word. His word that walked around, namely Jesus. That we would spend time with the word of God so we could familiarize ourselves with the voice of God. Now, you know, um, if, depending on how, you, maybe one or more of your, par- one of, one of your parents was big on instructions. And then when you got in certain situations where your parents had given you instructions, what did you hear in your head? You heard your mom's voice. You heard your dad's voice. You knew what they, would, what, what they were wanting you to do in a situation like this. Why? Because they had given you words. The word of God is like this. That we're supposed to familiarize ourselves with the word of God, with the voice of God. So when we find ourselves in situations, then we know what our Lord, what our Father, the one who calls us his own, is saying to us. And we can hear his word in our heads, and we can hear his word in our hearts, so that his word can be coming out of our mouths. We were singing there, you know, about the resurrected king is resurrecting me. It's making a declaration over your life. And what are we supposed to be declaring over our lives? What are we supposed to be saying? We're supposed to have known what God has said to us so that we can have it here and we can have it here and then it can be coming out of here. So it's not just something we know in the distance. Oh, yeah, I know God wants something for me. I'm not sure what it is. Hey, man, we can look at it and we can read it. We can familiarize ourselves with it. Jesus said, I've given you words. God has given us his word. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us instruction. He's given us help to help us to make decisions, to, to be our own personal life coach. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit... And they are life. That the word of God is, what is it going to be? It's going to be spirit. In other words, it's going to be inspiration to us. It's going to inspire us to know how to react and act in any given situation. Why? Because we know what the word of God says. That we're inspired. That the word of God is spirit to us and it gives us life. It doesn't give us religion. It's supposed to help us in each aspect of life. So whatever roles you have, whatever titles you have, uh, man, father, husband, uh, employee, employer, wife, all the different roles and titles that you have, mom, business person, whatever those areas that you have, God's word gives you life in those areas. The words that I have spoken to you, They are spirit. They inspire us. And then they give us life. And once again, as your six-month reminder, remember what we talked about in January? That you would spend at least 15 minutes a day. That you would open the Word of God somewhere in the New Testament. And our expectation would be, God, instruct me in my life. I want to know your voice. I want to know your ways. I want your help. I want your lordship in my life. Famous verse, Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That his word, his ways, his thoughts, 
God's words to you are his thoughts to you. And what do they do? They light our way. When it's dark, when I'm not sure what to do, what does the word of God do? It lights our way. It gives us the next step to take. That's why we familiarize ourselves with the word of God. Not out of religious duty. Not to make me happy, although it would make me happy if you read your Bibles. But don't just do it for that reason. What are we going to do it for? Because God's word is going to light our way. When a situation seems dark and difficult, when I'm not sure what the next step is, that the word of God gives us light. It's a lamp to my feet. I know what the next step is. Why? Because I'm getting direction from my Lord. The one who calls me his own. The one who's interested in my next step. The one who's more interested in my next step than I am. Would you know that's, you know that's true, right, about your children? You know your children are interested in their lives and doing the right next step. But your children don't actually understand how much you love them. Do they? They don't really get it, do they? And then one day when they hold their own baby, oh, they maybe get an understanding of it. But this is the way God the Father looks at us. He's more interested in your next step than you are. And so this is why we don't say, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm not sure what I'm going to do. No, we have a Lord. We have a God. We have a Father who calls me His own. It is not holding back from me. It actually loves me and cares about me, wants to illuminate my way. And so we familiarize ourselves with his word so that we know what his word is for tomorrow and today and the steps that I need to take. Why? Because his word lights my path. His word lights my way. So he is our Lord, and he's also our Savior. In other words, our Savior, what is he going to do? Our Savior is going to take us from one situation, bondage, what we would say with the children of Israel. They were slaves, and he brought them to another situation. This is what the Savior does. Another uh, definition of the word Savior is deliverer. So we, saw, we see all of these physical deliverers in the Old Testament um, nations doing certain things as a nation. What is our deliverance in the New Testament? It has to do with the inside of us. So God sets us free on the inside. So it doesn't matter what country we live in. It doesn't matter what neighborhood we live in. That we are free on the inside. And then that freedom on the inside is supposed to show up in our lives. Why? Because he is our savior. He's not just our Lord. He is our savior. He's our deliverer. He's taking us from one situation and he's moving us in to the promised land. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 says this. The former priests, talking about the Old Testament, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, the, the priests in the Old Covenant, they would just die. So now we have a new priest in the New Covenant and his name is Jesus. But he holds this his priesthood permanently talking about Jesus he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost 
Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That Jesus, one of the things that he's doing right now is that he's interceding on your behalf. Why? Because he calls you his own. Jesus is going to the Father God on your behalf. On your behalf. Not just the famous preachers, not just the Pope, not famous religious leaders, not people that have been saved longer than you. No, Jesus is going to God on your behalf. He calls you his own. This is what he's doing. It's permanent. He's the permanent priest for us, Jesus. He is the permanent go-between, between us and God. It isn't somebody else. And that's good news for us today. It isn't a person. It is Jesus who came and sacrificed himself for us. He is the one interceding to God on our behalf. Why? Because he is our Savior. He's not just our Lord, but he is our Savior. He's moving us from this situation into the promised land. And it says he is able to save to the uttermost. In other words, to the farthest place, to the most difficult situation. Doesn't matter what it's looked like. Doesn't matter how hard it might seem. That God's ability is bigger than that. So we never quit. We never give up. We allow his word to inform us that this is true. That he is our savior. So no matter how dark it looks or how bleak it might get. Or that I got knocked down again like we mentioned earlier in the service. What's true? Because I have a Savior. I'm getting back up. Just watch for the comeback. Why? Because I have a Savior who is always interceding on my behalf and He calls me His own. He never leaves me alone. Amen. He never forsakes me. So I don't, I don't have to go days and weeks being sad and being depressed. Why? Because I have a Savior. And he says that I am his. Thank God for that. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. In this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope means, this word hope means a joyful expectation. So here we're living in a certain place now when we know ultimately God is going to make all things right. In the last day. On judgment day and when, all, when God makes all those things right. But we right now, we're living in a place of hope. We're living in a place of joyful expectation. This is where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in hope. Like I said, joyful expectation. Why would I have a joyful expectation? Because I have a Savior. I have somebody who loves me more than my mama. And is more powerful than my mama. I mean, my mama is powerful. And she could pray, but God is more powerful than my mom. And he loves me and he calls me his own. 
So I always live in that place of hope. And it's just, it's a subtle smile. And it's a subtle, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that I will know. And it doesn't look good right now, but I know it's going to be okay. And you have to remind yourselves, when it doesn't look good, I still have hope. When this looks like I don't want it to look, I still have hope. Why? Because I have a Savior who calls me His own. Who calls me His own. See, sometimes we, because we've been trained religiously when we, when we do things wrong or, or we step out of uh, a step with God. Sometimes we might think, well, God, God is done with me. But think about it like this, parents. When your kids get in trouble or they step out of line, do you not feel like their parent in that moment when they're struggling with something or they've made a wrong decision? No, my parenting kicks in. Right? I'm not less their parent in that moment. I actually feel it even more. Why? Because I want to give them instructions. And I want to save them out of that situation. It's the same way with the Father God. See, religion sometimes has just got us thinking the wrong way about God. When we make a mistake and we do something wrong. No, the Father God is there. He's reaching out to us. In those moments, he's reaching out to us with forgiveness. He's reaching out to us with instruction. He's reaching out to us with his saving hand. Amen. He never disowns us. He calls us his own. You are mine, he says to us. Those two girls that my wife gave birth, those girls are mine forever. Those are my girls. Those are my daughters. If they make a mistake when they, when they need instruction, fatherhood kicks in. Why would we think that our Father God turns his back on us in those difficult times? No, the Father God is there. Calls us his own. We can see this illustrated here in this story in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up from Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. So what they believed here in this area is that an angel would come in, and then when the angel would come into the pool, that the first person uh, that got into the pool would get healed. And this is what they believed about in this area. And so there was just a multitude of sick people there in this region, just sort of surrounding this pool. So Jesus shows up in the middle of this situation, in the middle of this context, and he does something really cool, and he has a great interaction with somebody. And verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? I love when Jesus asked these questions. Because to us, we were like, well, of course, he's there. He's actually wanting to be healed. This is the point. But he's also showing us through these questions that our will is involved with these situations. Do I want it to change? Or are you just happy that it's been this way for 38 years and you're just willing to accept it? Are you just willing to, to accept the status quo? 
Because Jesus here is offering him something else. God is offering us, as our Savior and our Lord, something else. He's offering us something else. He reaches out his hand to us. Why? Because he calls us his own. Do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the sick man answered, sir, I have no one. One translation says, I have no man. See, and this is what we think a lot of times. We're in circumstances, in situations, and we just think, if I could just get somebody to help me, if I could just get a person to help me, if I could just get a man to help me, if I could just get a woman to help me. No, do you understand that there's more help from God than there is from people? Yes, people can help us and be a blessing to us, but they can't always be around. God is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He knows everything. He has all power. He is everywhere, omnipresent. He says, I don't, I don't have anybody. I don't have a person. Sometimes we put our, our faith in the wrong thing. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred and I'm going in, another steps down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, the man who healed me that said, the man that said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man that said that to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to them, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Do you see here Jesus, the Lord and Savior? Both things happened to this guy. What? He got saved from his situation 38 years. And this is good thoughts for us today. It doesn't matter how long it's been. How long it's been. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter how long it's been. This guy, 38 years in a situation. But we see here manifested Jesus, Lord and Savior. He healed him. And then he said, go and sin no more. Lordship. And this is how God, through Jesus, shows up. In our life. He is our Lord and our Savior. And we need both. Sometimes we might need more. One than the other. And whatever you need right now. Is the thing you need. But the good news is. You're his. You're his child. Think about how much you love your kids. And how much you want to provide for them. And how much you want them to make good choices. And how much you want them to follow the right path. How much more does God want that for all of us? How much greater is God's love? I mean, we're just human. We're just finite beings. How much love does the infinite God who is love want to be your Lord and your Savior on a daily basis. Verse 17, the last verse in this story. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. I love that. 
God is working. See, sometimes we're a little bit blind to the hand of God. We're a little bit blind to situations. We're a little bit blind to how God can be working things out. I was just thinking yesterday about just a couple things in my life that God set in motion over 20 years ago. Two really awesome things. But 20 years ago, I didn't know. 20 years ago, I couldn't see what the thing was that God was working out. In fact, I didn't even know that I would need it today, 20 years ago. But God knew. And he was working. Even though I couldn't see it with these eyes. But we know with the eyes of our heart. Because we see it in the word of God. And we can see it in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus says about God that he is working. So we never give up hope. We never let that subtle smile become a frown. Because we always have that joyful expectation. We know that God is working. We know that God is working. We know that God is working. Why? Because he calls us his own. Last thing, and then we're going to receive communion together. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Listen, did we hear it again in there? My sheep hear my voice, Lordship. And I give them eternal life, Savior. This is who he is, and this is what we need. It's who he is. The one whose resurrection we celebrate every Sunday. The one who we are supposed to be reminded of this morning as we receive communion. That our understanding of the Father God is Jesus coming to the earth and what he did and what he accomplished, and then what he said. And not only what he said, what he says today. Because I need to know what he says for me today. You need to know for your life, for your situations, for your circumstances, for your provision, for you moving from Egypt to the promised land. You need his wisdom, and then he also gives us his power, provides for us eternal life why don't you grab your communion elements there they're in the seat pocket in front of you once again you don't have to feel pressured to receive communion with us today but if you are a follower of Jesus we encourage you to do it with us remember you can open that top piece with the cellophane and just hold the wafer I'm just going to read you a verse here from the last supper 
Luke 22, verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus said to do this. Why are we doing this? Not to be religious, not to keep up with some other denomination or whatever. We're doing this to remind ourselves about Jesus, what he has accomplished, what he has done, and then who he is. To remind ourselves about Jesus. He calls us his own. He he hasn't left us. He doesn't leave us. He hasn't forsaken us. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.